Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Joe Dupriest, co-founder of Next Up Ventures, Next Up Partners. And we're going to start off our Next Up Partners partnership here with a series of episodes with people on Joe's team. I'm really excited to kind of dive into their experiences, their parts of the industry in which they're experts in. And Joe's got a ton of experience that he will yield his insights on. Uh, We'll get into the word marketing. Uh, I know a lot of people think of marketing in in a variety of uh, lenses. And so uh, Joe was fortunate enough to be a CMO over at the Washington Capitals and then Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Um, Had some other experiences we'll shine a light on as well. But what's it like to be a CMO? We'll dive into that as well. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. So did you wake up out of bed when you were 12 years old and go, I'm going to be a CMO of an NHL team? Is that? Yeah, that never really occurred to me, especially growing up in Atlanta. You know, I barely knew what an NHL team was. You know, I think the Flames were here. I think they left when I was one year old and the Thrashers came after I graduated college. So, you know, we had the, you know, the Knights back in the day, you know, the minor league team. But yeah, other than that, no, no, never would have imagined. And, and for maybe other CMOs that you got to work with once you got to that seat, what kind of paths did they have? And were they similar to yours? Were they, were they vastly different? Um, did you go to school to study marketing? How, how did you kind of get your footing? Yeah, I think everybody's got a different background, a different story, you know, and I think, you know, for people looking to get into the business, I think it's interesting to talk to as many people as you can and kind of learn what those are. You know, mine was, you know, non-traditional, but again, most are, you know, I was actually an engineer undergrad at Georgia Tech and then was a, you know, worked at FedEx for a few years as an engineer in Memphis and then decided ah, I didn't really want to sit in front of that many spreadsheets all day. And so I went back to business school at Duke and my, my whole goal there was, yeah, I wanted to get into marketing. And so, you know, spent two years, you know, talking to anybody and everybody I could. And so that was kind of my path, leveraging the analytics background, which, you know, back in, you know, 2003, when I was getting my first internship with the Durham Bulls was, you know, pretty, pretty new, you know, across sports, you know, in general, you know, some teams now have a 15 person analytics department. Most had zero when I was there. So it was, you know, a, a nice, you know, niche to car for myself. But yeah, that was my background and how I got into it. You know, you see, you're seeing more people now coming from outside of sports into sports that were, you know, CMOs, maybe you know, CPGs or whatever. But then when I was, you know, first coming up, it was mostly the people that had started as an intern and worked their way all the way to the top. And so that's, you know, not quite as, you know, prevalent now or, you know, back then it's, you had to work it that way. Now you can come from almost any, anywhere, you know, consulting companies, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's nice to have the opportunity to think of people now. Yeah. And when you think back to getting that engineering degree, um, similarly, my, my dad got his engineering degree and he did nothing with engineering. So, um, you know, similar story in that sense, he's on the sales market data research side and, and, and within the marketing space. And so not in sports, but again, similar. And, and when you think back to your engineering experience and, and what did it teach you um, that maybe has helped you kind of throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, it teaches you a different way to think, you know, and and the way to analyze and look at problems and, you know, really kind of tie things together and process is important, you know, whereas people used to think of marketing is, oh, you make this nice ad, you know, and, you know, you know, create a TV commercial and, you know, whatever, and that, and that's kind of what it is, you know, but now it's, you know, really gotten into the measurement piece of it. So for me to be kind of at the forefront of that and utilize that skill set 
you know, I was doing, you know, consumer research, you know, case study analysis, you know, data breakdown on ticket sales. You know, I did, you know, regression analysis for the Carolina Hurricanes back in the day when I was at Duke, you know, on their ticket sales and where tickets are coming from on what days and what opponents and what's driving that. And, you know, that that way of thinking differentiated me, and, you know, I think, you know, kind of paved the way to, you know, put that process and, you know, measurement in that, you know, wasn't really there before. It's one thing to get all the data. It's another thing to know what to do with it, but then also to apply it in a way in which, whether it be a marketing campaign to understand, okay, this might work here, but if it doesn't, we're going to adjust this way, right? Or we're going to pivot to this. And so as you think about maybe the different marketing campaigns that you were working through over your tenure, you know, one at, one at the capitals, um, but then moving to Monumental, where eventually it became multiple properties. So you've got different stories that you're trying to tell. How do you differentiate the, the data in that sense? Yeah, and a lot of it, too, it depends. And the markets are so different. I mean, you go back to when I was at the Hurricanes and looking at, you know, it was all about ticket sales. You got to put butts in seats. And, you know, they were struggling at the time. They were, you know, you know, far removed from their prior Stanley Cup run and a good ways away from the next one. And so, you know, really understanding that of where fans are coming from and just motivating them to buy versus then you get to Philly. Now you've got a Super Bowl team. And so you're not marketing to sell tickets. I mean, you've got a wait list that maybe two people come off a year. So it's how do you drive, you know, additional engagement points and, you know, what, you know, so we really, you know, dug deep into the brand and what does it mean for people? And in Philly, you know, it's that generational fanhood that's so big. My dad was an Eagles fan. His dad was an Eagles fan. And how do you play up that and where the team is now versus then you go to Washington. You know, when I first got there in 2007, I tell people I work for the Capitals and I'd have to explain it's the NHL team, you know, and then, you know, it, it, it wasn't the same way. I mean, youth sports was getting bigger there, youth hockey, you know, OV was becoming big. It was Backstrom's rookie year, but now you didn't have that. And so now it was more about education of the game and getting people out to actually experience the game, which you don't have to do on the NFL side. You know, and, you know, it started out with the ticket sales piece of it. We got to, you got to put butts in seats and you got to, you know, generate that. You got to get, you know, kids playing hockey. So later they're going to want to buy it. You know, it's not just a short-term play, it's a long-term play. And then now the team's winning and now you're selling out every game. So now it's all right. Now, how do we drive the digital eyeballs? How do we create conventions and fan fests and all these other engagement opportunities to really hit on? Eventually you're not going to be good forever. So what are you going to do when you're not, you know, if you didn't engage the fans that weren't coming to games, then they're not going to come to games later when you're not as good so how do you look you know five ten years down the road while also being successful then so you know just market to market you know it, it gets so different and and the fan base in each market's different as you mentioned right philly to washington where you might have um people that live in washington dc but but maybe then they're baltimore orioles fans and they drive up to maryland or baltimore right so it's not necessarily that diehard fan as you maybe saw in philly and you have to approach them in a different way they maybe consume things in a different way in that sense. Um, when you think about the, you, you mentioned the educational component, which I think is very interesting and in how you approach a fan base and which type of fans you're trying to attract, right? So um, you mentioned Philly, which the season ticket holders, right? Probably, you know, generation upon generation upon generation, but then you're targeting a much different demographic when you're looking at how do we target the youth in DC, yeah. right? And the messaging. So you're then maybe altering your platforms, right? TV versus maybe social yeah. and digital. So just talk us through a little bit of how that strategy comes together. 
Yeah. So, you know, Washington, one of the first things we did was really kind of break down the fan base. I mean, I think we had about seven different segments of fans. I mean, you had the ones that were friend, you know, fans of Ron Langway back in the eighties and, you know, the historicals, but then you had, you know, the kids that you're trying to get them to play youth hockey. So you're trying to get into the schools and run street hockey clinics. And hopefully then they'll go back to the parents and want to go. So then you know, you've got the parents that are what we call kid pleasers. So they want to, they want to experience the caps because their, their kids want to do it. And so that, that family piece is there different from in Philly. It was a family tradition versus now a family looking for something to do. And so, you know, we would go after, you know, wherever the families were, we were going to, we would try to create, you know, free events, you know, training camp was open to the public at, you know, Kettler Capital's Iceplex. You know, we would, you know, create fan fest events, interaction for players, all, all free events, just to expose people to the game, expose people to players and, and kind of create that education piece to it. But then we would do college nights. You know, it's, you know, there, there's also that segment of fans that just want to look at, you know, go out and have fun, which when you experience hockey, you know, that's, you know, a big piece of what it is. We would market heavily to colleges and events and, you know, the dollar dog nights and, you know, getting them out there to, you know, just have a new experience that way. And, you know, how we would attract them versus, you know, even back in the early days of Facebook marketing, where now that's where, you know, tons of the dollars go back then. It really wasn't, you know, and even, you know, we, we were doing influencers before influencers were a thing. We engaged, you know, there's a, there's a guy named Elliot Siegel, who's, you know, the morning grab guy in DC 101, huge, you know, Caps fan, huge hockey fan, and I could never pay for the publicity he gave us. So our thought was always, well, how do we, you know, duplicate that model? Well, I went to some of the other DJs in the area and I would give them tickets in exchange for it. I'm like, hey, just talk about us on the air tomorrow. Tell people how much fun you had. Make it authentic. I'm not going to run, you know, I'll, you know, pay to run the TV spot. So, you know, your bosses are happy, but, you know, tell, tell that organic story about taking your family to the game and, you know, telling it that way. And, you know, the, the, you know, the moms, you know, driving the kids to school in the morning will hear that. And that's how I'm going to get the message out there. And that's how we got to those. And so, but really breaking down those different segments and different tactics to then go out and, and get them, you know, a different way that then, you know, the, the fun thing is once they're all at the game, they all have fun together. Yeah. One of the most overlooked thing from a marketing perspective is that ultimately marketing is to drive revenue, right? Sometimes people don't put the two and two together like, oh, well, that's, that's marketing and that's the fun creative stuff. And then there's the revenue side, which people go and sell. And it's like, no, no, they, they go together, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, then you bring in, how does the sponsorship piece work in it too? Because I want to create platforms that are now sellable. You know, if, you know, something a sponsor is not going to want to attach themselves to, then it's not going to be a win. But if it's something a sponsor wants to do, but no fans want to do it, that's also not going to work. So how do I create the right events, the right digital platforms and all of that to really, you know, in, engage and, you know, get the fan base excited about it. So then the sponsor will want to jump on top of it and you, you win on both sides of it. Yeah, and you were there at a time where the digital evolution of marketing was really kind of at the forefront, right? Coming, you know, with apps and and the iPhones and and everything that was then driving traffic to these kind of mobile devices. And obviously the websites were there, but those have continued to evolve. And then you start to get into content. And as you're seeing this evolve, right? what's the what's the biggest need from a personnel perspective as you continue to progress in the marketing world whether it be creative or um, storytelling communication social media directors what's the biggest piece you know personnel uh, that you really need going forward in these marketing departments in order to succeed I mean, you need people that really understand the platform and how each platform is different. I mean, back, you know, like I said, you know, we launched, you know, the first team websites. I remember when our, you know, head of digital started talking about this thing called Twitter. 
You're like, well, this sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Nobody's going to want to do that. And then next thing you know, I'm slapping Foursquare stickers around around the arena for people to check in on that. And, you know, it, you know, it was just trying to kind of figure out the platform. Now, it's how do you utilize each platform? Because everybody's there. So, you know, if you don't have the right or, you know, authentic content to the right audience on each platform, you know, it's not just putting the same thing out on everything. So, you know, people are really, you know, in-depth on it. You know, that's one thing, you know, part of the, the Next Up team, you know, we've got a guy, Jeremy McPeak, you know, used to be with the Suns. You know, he runs social media for a lot of, you know, big brands, personalities, and, and he understands the content piece and can create that engagement around it. And that's the type of person I think that, that's really key to, to the growth, whether it's the startups we're talking to or the teams or whatever it is to really know how to, how to create that engagement, you know, because the best, the best content, if you don't get it out there, is not right. And if you know how to spread bad content, that's not going to work either. So having that person that can kind of bring it together, really, I think is, is really a key to, to the unlock for a lot of people. Yeah. And you mentioned the word personalities, right? So using your players, using your assets, right, that you have in the organization, has that changed at all in terms of marketing and storytelling as, you know, Again, that kind of the digital evolution from a marketing perspective has continued to evolve rapidly. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, you know, it's changed a bit on the player side of how they see their own brands and how now they're going to be careful about what they tie themselves to and, and what they're going to put out there. You know, they're not going to put out anything. They're not, it's not going to be authentic to them. You know, you're going to see them, whether it's, you know, investing in companies or having, you know, marketing partnerships or what they're going to promote on behalf of the team. You know, it's, it, it's not as easy as it used to be because they're going to get hit up by a lot of stuff. And if they post something that's not authentic, you know, their, their followers are going to hit them. But I think that's, you know, that, that's the biggest change in that way is, is making sure that you get the right influencers bought in. Just a big follower account doesn't get you anything. You know, it, you know people with, you know, 20,000 followers could get you a whole lot more if it's the right, you know, partner than, you know, somebody that's got 2 million followers that, you know, they're obviously not really bought into it. Where do you see marketing going in the future? What's, what's kind of the next iteration of how marketing is going to change for teams whether that be from the revenue side and tickets and how that's going to change, whether it be the streaming side of things and getting you know people's eyeballs in different places, what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think the streaming part is obviously going to you know going to be huge. You know, we you know when I was at Monumental, we launched Monumental Sports Network. That was the the first regional OTT app, and it was all about you know cord cutters. We see where the future is coming. Now you're going to have this whole population that's not going to be able to watch games. So now it's not, hey, let's drive people to our website. Let's drive people to our channels. Like, no, we got to go where they are and serve them up the right content. So streaming in the right areas with the right partnerships, you know, I think it is really going to be key. Um, and, you know, I think the experiential piece of it is going to be different. You know, just looking at where, where COVID is, you know, I think, you know, people are, you know, the virtual events where it used to be, you know, VIPs you know, would be, you know, hey, there's 20 people at this event. Well, now, you know, virtually, you know, people are, you know, getting used to this, this type of stuff. And there's, you know, companies popping up now that can create really unique opportunities across that, that can now reach more people, which is going to have more sponsor interest. It's going to create more engagement. You know, maybe it's not quite the same in person, but you're still going to have that. But now you've got all these other areas to, to reach people. Because, you know, I think for a team, you know, it's key that you've got to be a 12-month sport, whoever you are. And I think, you know, the NFL has done the best job of that. And that was always our goal with the Caps is, you know, every week, every month, you know, whatever level, if you got zero dollars to spend or a hundred thousand dollars, we got something for you. We got something for you to engage with because if you go dark, it's hard to come back, you know, so that 12 month calendar and being relevant at all times and not just being about the, the on ice or the on field piece, but you know, that entire experience, 
you know, because also, you know, thinking back to, you know, the recession in the early 2000s, you know, I think we were lucky with the caps because people were really invested in the team and, you know, people start, you know, ranking, you know, what's, what's important to them, where their dollars are going to go. And if you're a part of their daily life versus, ah, it's a ticket event, you know, it's something I'm going to do or not do, you know, that, that starts making a big difference in, in their lives, you know, because you know, sports is, you know, it's important part of people's lives, and, you know, especially, you know, these days you can, you know, see what's happened over the last year with and without and how people engage and, you know, it, it's important, but you gotta, you gotta deliver it the right way. Yeah, it's not something you have to have. Everyone likes to have it. Everyone yeah. <laughs> loves to have it, right? But it's not something you you can't live without, right? Which is, I think, a little bit of what we're seeing. But at the same time, you just have to re-engage people in a different way that catches their, their attention and, to your point, their dollar in the right way because there's more options than ever now, right? And, yep. and whether that's, you know, clicking the button and ordering something on Amazon just because you see it or, um, you know wherever, whatever the case might be in a, you know, a new streaming service that seems to be launching every other month, right? right. It's how do you capture the attention and keep them long-term as you mentioned, right? Not just the short-term. So that 12 month cycle, you mentioned earlier, you know, not every team's going to be good every single year, right? Of course we know that, but there's also stretches where you're going to go through really rough patches. And so how do you keep your fans engaged and your core audience engaged throughout that entire time from a marketing perspective, promotions, giveaways. I mean, how, how do you go about that component when there isn't action happening, you know, on the field, on the ice, on the court? Yeah. I mean, you've always got platforms to reach people. That's what's nice. You know, you know, 30 years ago, if there's a lockout, you know, if there's just no sports, you got no outlet for it, but you've still got personalities. You've still got ownership and management You've still got fans that want to engage. You've still got all these platforms. You've still got content creators. You've still got the ability to reach people across all of that. And so, you know, taking advantage of that, you know, in theory, you know, should be easier for a lot. You know, it's harder to get the message out because there's so many different options. But, you know, there, there's an appetite for it and, and there's a way to do it, you know, because you know, if you don't need to get a dollar out of somebody, you know, every time you interact with them and people don't want that, people want to be appreciated and feel a part of the team, whether they're a season ticket holder or their kids just playing youth hockey or does a, you know, you know, a street hockey event, you know, locally or whatever it is, you know, you know, creating those engagement points, whether you can do them virtually or whatever, you know, I think, I think it's the key to just have something for people to engage with at all times. That's always going to at least keep you top of mind, you know, even when, you know, when there may not be, you know, games to actually come to. And, you know, watching games and stuff, you can see where the ratings are, you know, and a lot of things. And, you know, even watching games is weird. You know, I'm you know, a huge Duke fan, you know, I mean, you know, watching games, I mean, I'm still going to watch, but, you know, watching, you know, if there's no crowd in Cameron, if you're not a huge Duke fan, are you really going to watch it as much? It's just, it's, it's kind of weird, you know, even pumping in the, the crowd noise, you know, you know, some of them, it just, it's just a, a weird thing to watch um, unless you're a hardcore fan. So, you know, having other ways for people to engage and, you know, really bring it home for them, I think is key. Yeah. That 12 month touchpoint calendar is certainly one to strive for, but difficult. Was that your biggest challenge as a CMO? What was your biggest challenge? I mean, for me with the, the struggle with, you know, caps and wizards is the great number of games. I mean, you've got, you know, over 80 home games plus preseason and hopefully playoffs. I mean, that's a lot. And now you're trying to get people in the seats two or three times a week. 
and you're trying to balance out, well, you know, when the team's not as good, well, let's try to get them the weekend games. All right, well, well now that the team is, is better, let's focus on the Tuesday games. But there's always games coming up, whereas the NFL, you on a game a week, a game every two weeks. So you just, it's nothing but engagement points and, you know, other opportunities during the rest of the week. And so it, it, it's different, you know, depending on the two you're going to, but having that great number of games, I mean, people get exhausted with it. I mean, you know, baseball, 162 games is a lot. I mean, you can only expect so much of people. So balancing out, you know, getting people to come to games versus just creating that additional content and engagement opportunities. I mean, it's, you know, it, you know, it, it's a long season and then, you know, keeping people's attention after, even if you want the 12 month calendar, I mean, there are going to be a lot of them that are really invested or you're going to be burnt out there. So just balancing it out the right way. And then just making sure you have something, I think for every person, you know, whether, you know, you, you know, back to however much money they have to spend, you know, if you've got need a free event, I've got it for you. If you want a premium event, I've got it for you. You know, when it's super premium, I got it for you. If you want some for your kids, I got it for you. Just creating all of that, but then getting the message out so it's not just overwhelming people with the amount of stuff. And then, you know, measuring it is you know, obviously a big piece of it, too, understanding what's resonating, what's not as the team gets better and not being able to pivot at the right times and, you know, kind of keep your pulse on that. I asked this question in, in a different uh, podcast episode, but can you ever be too creative? Yeah, you can outthink yourself. I mean, it's, you know, like, you know, with the Eagles, you know, it's, the, the team is, you know, historically what they are. It's the family tradition and all of that. And, you know, don't overthink it, you know, don't overbrand it, you know, just, you know, leverage what it is and how do you embrace that and take it to the next level. Um, but, you know, I'm, I've never been a big fan of, you know, these brand new slogans every year and here's your new creative and now three weeks later, here's something else. And now here's all of this other stuff. And it's like, I right, guess get back to the core, get back to something, you know, for me, you know, if it's a, it's a, if it's a good marketing campaign, it can go for years. You know, if you have to reinvent yourself every few months or once a year, whatever, then, you know, you don't really have a true story there. You got to get that one central story. And if you try to overcreate it, you know, again, you know, back to the authenticity piece of it, it's, it's not going to be there and, you know, people aren't going to buy into it and they're going to get burned out with all this different stuff you're trying to throw at them. Yeah. How do you balance the creativity versus the numbers, right? Because you're, you're the numbers guy coming at it with probably other people in the room that are, you know, off the walls, creative. And you're like, all right, hold on. Like only that only so much is going to yield X, Y, and Z, right? Like, how do you, where's that balance? Yeah. And that's, you know, my background, I think that that's where I was able to excel a bit, having the analytic piece to it. I mean, I'm, I won't say I'm not creative, but I know good creative. I know how to take good creative and make it great creative. Um, but yeah, it's, it, we put people in a room. That's how we'd start every season. We do business planning, throw everything against the wall. Let me see what you got, you know, throw it all out there, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, it's kind of up to me and obviously our finance guy has got to pay for any of the stuff that we do to really, you know, hone it in. But, you know, we would really set it up for, you know, there's, you know, here's our main goals, you know, drive fans, you know, drive revenue, you know, you gotta you know, drive eyeballs and then, you know, you, you know, what are your strategies against that? And what are your tactics against it? You know, and then, you know, if it doesn't fall into those goals, it doesn't fall into those strategies, you know, then we're not going to execute in that tactic, you know, brand fans and revenue that that's, you know, the three things that we would always talk about and, and where we're going to get and everything's got to fall into, into those bu- buckets. Cause if you're not going towards a clear goal, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not something you want to pursue. So that, that always helped 
as you would then really kind of force people to, well, where does this idea fit? Where does this fit? And then as you have those conversations, even, well, you can combine this with this, and now this is going to be now bigger because you also don't want a super creative idea that's going to reach 100 people. You know, the idea is always, well, that's great, but now how do I take the 100 people and make it 10,000 people? Now, now it's a good idea, and now it's going to drive, you know, to that, you know, enhance my brand or drive the right revenue or whatever. Yeah, you know, one one of the interesting things from a sponsorship perspective, you're always selling, right? You're you're trying to go get the dollar. On the marketing side, you just get to spend it. Now, you mentioned you got to check with your finance guy to make sure you can actually spend money. I know that uh, in one of my roles uh, at the Arizona Fall League, our marketing budget was zero dollars. So then, what do you yep. do, right? Yep. And how do you how do you make the most of a zero dollar marketing budget? Right. And, and there's I'm sure there's plenty of teams, as you've witnessed yourself, that have more marketing dollars than others. Yeah. Right. And um, we've all seen it, you know, whether it's big market versus small market, et cetera. But how do you know what to spend on? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on your market. It depends on am I driving butts and seats? Am I driving sponsorship dollars? What do I have to do? But, you know, then you're right. You, you can only do so much because if you've got zero dollars, you've only got so many people. So then it's going to come down to, well, do I have a two-person marketing department or do I have 20? If I got 20, I can do a whole lot more stuff. You know, and, you know, it doesn't cost me anything to take, hey, my, my head of youth hockey, you know, send him out to, you know, a youth center, you know, a couple of times a week and, you know, put on a clinic for kids, you know, zero cost there. They've already got the equipment. I'm already paying him. You go out there, you know, social is not going to cost you anything, but, you know, you've only got so many hours in the day to put that out there and put the right content out there. Um, so it's, you know, it comes down to where you're going to try to drive, you know, those fans to do what do you want them to engage with, because you got to have a clear message, they need to understand this is what you want me to do. And then you just have to, you know, plan around that and, you know, focus on, you know, where, where are you going to, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to do? And then, you know, for the dollars, it's no different, you know, if there's no good reason to spend the money, you don't do it, it's still got to drive towards those same goals. And then you start measuring it of what's, you know, what's going to be the impact of it. You know, so we would, you know, everything would look at well, how many people is this going to reach? Because that's then how we would then, you know, value it on the sponsorship side. Well, you know, this, you know, this is going to get this many web impressions, this many people in the arena. Hey, I'm going to get a million impressions off of this for this. All right. So now we're going to do this. And then you run the analysis. Other one, like I said before, you know, it's 10,000. You know, if you're not going to have the right, in, in, right impact, then you don't do it. And it's also who you're trying to hit. You know, with, with the caps, you know, a big piece of our strategy early on was how do we attract more female fans? I think we were under 30% when I first started there and we were close to 50% within three years. We launched a, a female fan club. We launched events around that. And while it wasn't necessarily a volume game, it was a volume of a certain demographic that was, you know, appealing to sponsors and was valuable for us overall because that's what's going to bring in the youth hockey market. You know, it's it's a whole different apparel line. And, you know, there, there was an interest there. You know, it wasn't that there weren't female fans. They weren't engaged because they weren't getting the right content. They weren't getting the right opportunity. They didn't have the right merch, you know, all of those different factors. And so, you know, putting a plan around, hey, this is what we want to drive this fan base from. And actually the female fan base from the time the caps were growing actually grew faster than the male fan base. And so we were pretty proud of that, you know, but, you know, everything as we planned it, you know, that was a clear strategy for us for those years. It's then we aligned our, our tactics and our spend against that strategy. And, you know, it's just a matter of making sure, hey, here's our top strategies and making sure we're not spraying ourselves. You can't go in, go into a season with, hey, here's 30 things I want to do. You know, it's like now here I'm going to go in with here's five or six solid strategies we have. And now we're going to budget against those. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and when you think about the, the revenue wheel, if you have it right, you've you mentioned kind of merchandising and licensing. That was a, a component that we haven't talked about. But then you also think about concessions. 
Um, and even just those two combined of ways in which you might be able to drive different revenue lines just from the ancillary marketing that you're doing on a campaign that's maybe trying to drive tickets, right? Maybe there's promotions that you kind of combine, which brings me to my last question as we kind of wrap up here before some rapid fire is, as you think about the different departments that you're all working with, right? There's, there's so many that you touch because of how you impact the whole organization. What's one department that you got to work with that you thought was really underrated in terms of the impact that they could make to the organization based on um, you helping them from a marketing perspective? I mean, our community relations and foundation was, was always a key piece of it, you know, and it was it was always tougher, you know, because, you know, the sponsors want the big and arena stuff. People always look at the games and, you know, yeah, I want to be a part of the, the pregame show and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, but with the community relations department, you know, and, and in some, you know, areas, they're part of the marketing department and in a lot of teams, they're, they're still separate, you know, but the impact that they have to drive that, you know, authentic interest and you know engage the community and the value that that department is going to bring you know is you know is invaluable you know i think you know and it you know i think with the sponsorship departments you know understanding that value and where and where that's going to be you know with what a lot of big brands are looking for these days as well because it you know it used to be that you know sponsorship was spent on oh yeah i just want to sign you know it wasn't as much around roi and so now that you need to drive that too you know, and, and I think there's probably an appreciation for it. Certainly now, historically, it hasn't been as the analytics department. Now you've got to you've got to show the ROI across all of this. You got to get you got to figure out models, and you can't make the stuff up. You know, there's got to be you know legit and analytics behind showing a sponsor the value that they got. You know, so that either you can get a new deal or they'll extend their deal or whatever it is. But if you if you're not able to measure that with the right people and the right tools and and tell that right story, and then you know I'll go to another one, the PR department. They got to get that story out there for you. You know, because that's what's going to get the sponsors are going to see. They're going to see their name. They're going to see other sponsors, and then they want to be a part of that. And so getting getting that story out there as well in the right way. And so I mean, it all it all ties together. You know, I think every I think whoever you talk to, I mean, there's they're probably going to feel like they're they're the least appreciated, you know, in, in the organization. <laughs> you know, you know every department. But you know, I think you know there's there's not a one of them that doesn't you know drive critical value to all the others, especially both the ticket sales and, and the sponsorship piece. And if they're if you got a hole in there, it's going to get exposed. Yeah, just as you have, you know, maybe three shifts on the ice, uh, you know, during a given game that they're kind of all rotating through, you have the same thing through the front office and everyone's kind of playing their role depending on, you know, what the objective is. And, you know, they're definitely sponsors that you might be able to rely upon or, or leverage as a marketer, right, and be able to utilize their brand and kind of, you know, their audience, right. And I think that there's certainly unique ways, again, as you mentioned, every market has a little bit of a different you know, spin to it and how you're going to approach it, what the strategy is. Um, all right, rapid fire. Love it. Love this part of it. Uh, we'll see if you're ready. Uh, but as you think about brands, right, you've worked with many of them. What's the one that struck you as the most curious brand? Most curious brand. I mean, for me, it was always Uber early on. I remember when they were first starting and how they were getting, how they were branding themselves. You didn't really know what it was. What is this whole thing? And how are they getting interest? 
the way they didn't hit you in the face with it. You know, they, they tried to create that kind of curiosity as they were going out there of, of what it, cause it was, you know, it was a brand new concept at the time. And it was word that, you know, like it's German, what's going on here. And so I, you know, the curiosity they created, I thought was interesting. If you could be a fan of any sport that you haven't worked for, what would it be? Be a fan of any sport I haven't, haven't worked for in any way. Correct. What? Uh, golf. Golf. All right. I was thinking maybe, you know, cricket might come out of there or, <laughs> you know, rugby or some something of that sort. Yeah, no, I've never, never worked in golf. Although, you know, I guess I've been the guy on the fairway holding up the, you know, the signs and working the class back in St. Jude Classic back in the day. But yeah, I've never worked with PJ. I've never really worked a tournament. Never worked. Yeah, I interviewed there years ago for, for a CRM role, but no, I've never been there, but love, love golf. Best part about working at FedEx? Um, Free shipping? Yeah, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Now, so actually there, it ties back to golf. So actually their, their headquarters is on a TPC golf course and I lived on the other side of it. So I could actually walk to work faster than I could, I could drive there. They had a brand new world headquarters there right after I started, you know, and it was, I mean, the, the company was just taken off. It was a great company to work for, you know, loved all the people there. And I got to travel a lot too. You know, we actually, yeah, every Christmas, you know, we got to spend a week back home with our families and just work in the stations. Actually, I would drive a FedEx truck, you know, over the holidays then you know so that that piece was there so it was it was just a you know a great overall family environment that i didn't have to commute to work in that's awesome blue devils or yellow jackets oh my wife asked me that all the time <laughs> <laughs> i mean i always stick yellow jackets i mean i always always go with the undergrad i mean it's tough you know if it's a situation where duke's got a shot on the national championship and you know the, the yellow jackets are five and 15. I'm, I'm going to pull for Duke, but you know, all things equal, you know, I'm always going to go with the yellow jackets. All right. You've, you, I'm sure you've been well-traveled through your career in sports thus far. Best arena, stadium, park, field, rink, you name it. Where is it? Hmm. That is a good one. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm going to go to the Duke thing. I'm always going to say Cameron Indoor. I mean, there's no sporting event like Duke Carolina in there in that in that small environment, the passion of it. I mean, what you're into. I mean, I've, you know, I've been to Super Bowls, you know, I've been to World Series, you know, I've been to always, and, you know, one of my other, you know, cool things at FedEx was traveling all summer. I went to 20 major league ballparks in three years. So I've seen almost all of those, but, you know, nothing, you know, and, you know, compares to, to Cameron Indoor for me. I that's not it's it's on my list haven't done it yet it's definitely going to happen at some point um but certainly a, a fun one to watch on tv all right last one for you uh if you could predict kind of the next wave of marketing what platform is going to engage fans the most that maybe doesn't exist right now hmm I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to go with TikTok for now. I mean, I was talking to a startup the other day that, you know, they're, they're getting all of their engagement, you know, all of their app downloads are, are coming from there. And, you know, I think that's going to spur something else. You know, maybe that's not quite it, but, you know, I think that's one that people are not engaged with, you know, and don't really understand because, you know, old people like me, that's not what we're doing. You know, I, you know, I get Facebook, I get Instagram, I get everything else. I think it's underutilized because a lot of people that don't fully understand this going back to, you know, the right people, you know, that you need to plug into those. 
you know, I think that's a huge marketing asset that there's going to be more of that type of stuff popping up, you know, to engage people with it. People are going to, but, you know, the key is just going to be, you got to keep up with it. You know, because you know, if, you're, if you're still just spending all your money on Facebook, then, then you're missing out. Absolutely. No, it's great. TikTok, we'll see what evolves from TikTok, right? There might be a TikTok too, and we just don't know what it's called yet. But yeah. um, Joe, really appreciate the time kind of diving in on the insights of marketing, um, really what it's like to be a CMO and, and ultimately uh, your, your winding path to get there. So appreciate the time and uh, certainly look forward to having the rest of the guests on for the series. Yes, it's great. I really appreciate it.